Exodus chapter 6. If you're visiting with us for the first time or, or you're new to the bridge, we are going through the Bible at, at breakneck speed. I mean, at a really rapid pace. We uh, started a year ago. And here we are in Exodus chapter 6. So we're blazing along. <laughs> Starting in verse 28 of Exodus chapter 6 this morning. Now it came about on the day when the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt that the Lord spoke to Moses saying, I am the Lord, speak to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I speak to you. But Moses said before the Lord, behold, I am unskilled in speech. How then will Pharaoh listen to me? And the Lord said to Moses, See, I make you as God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. And you shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall speak to Pharaoh that he let the sons of Israel go out of his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, that I may multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. When Pharaoh does not listen to you, then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring out my hosts, my people, the sons of Israel, from the land of Egypt by great judgments. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand on Egypt and bring out the sons of Israel from their midst. So Moses and Aaron did it as the Lord commanded them. Thus they did. Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 when they spoke to Pharaoh. Now as we get started this morning, I want to give you an invitation, a special invitation to a special event that's held here in the barn every Wednesday night. It's a Bible study. It's a time of fellowship and a time of singing and worshiping. And as I said, we're going through the Bible verse by verse, page by page. We meet here at 7 o'clock in this very barn. Bring a blanket. Um, We're here until about 8.30 to 8.45 and we're here every week. Now, you may be thinking, those of you who know about the Wednesday Night Bible Study, well, Rick, I know you're there, but my schedule doesn't permit it right now. I I can get there on Sunday, and I get all I need on Sunday. Don't make me feel guilty. So hear my heart on this. I'm inviting you not to make you feel guilty. One of the funniest things to me is how guilt plays into the church, and how pastors, many pastoral friends of mine, and pastors I've worked for and with in the past, have used guilt as a means of getting people there. Frankly, folks, if you don't want to hear God's word, then why would you be here this morning in the first place? It's really not about, like I said before, building this big old church. Wednesday nights, if one person, if two people will show up, I'll be here teaching. The point is not guilt. Guilt's a poor motivator. But the point is that I want you to understand the vision God has for the bridge. And the vision is this, James chapter 1, verse 22. James said, Prove yourselves doers of the word, not merely hearers who delude themselves. Did you know it was possible to sit in a church and delude yourself as to God's plan, God's will, God's desire for your life? You could sit into a, in a church every Sunday for the rest of your life and be a hearer of the word and not a doer of the word and end up deluded according to James. He goes on and he says, If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at it himself and gone away, he's immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. And you all know that. We look in the mirror and we see all the flaws and, and you know things, and then we walk away and we forget pretty quick what we look like. And then at the end of the day, when you look in the mirror again, you see that, that, that piece of food that's in there that everybody has seen all day long but you. You didn't even know it was there. You had no idea. Well, James says that's what someone who just listens to the Word and does nothing about it is like. They, they go in, they hear, they walk away, and they forget. 
And I love what my mother-in-law has to say about Wednesday night Bible study. Oh, I just can't miss it. I just can't miss it. you got to talk to her. I can't exactly, you know, act like she does. But I can't miss it. There's no way, there's no way, she says, I could get from Sunday to Sunday without Wednesday in the middle. I've got to have it. And that's the right heart. You know what? There's no way I could get from Sunday to Sunday if I didn't have the Bible throughout the week. Not even just on Wednesday night, by the way. But constantly being in God's Word. James says, if you're not, you're like someone who looks in the mirror and forgets all about what it's all about. Verse 25 of James chapter 1, he says, The one who looks intently, intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. The effectual doer of the word, not the forgetful hearer of the word. So my challenge, my invitation to all of you at the bridge is that we not be a church filled with hearers. But we be a church filled with doers. That this Christian fellowship would be filled with effectual doers of the word. That's my prayer. That is what I pray, by the way, on a daily basis in my own private prayer with God. God, make the bridge an effectual doer of the word. Let the people here be so filled with your word that it is busting out at the seams that we are living out your word. We're not just showing up at church and hearing it every now and then, but we are living it because that's the life that is a blast. That's the life that is fun, but it's a whole lot more than fun. That's the life that makes a difference. Why is it in America today that the church is having such a hard time making a difference? Well, evil's on the rise. Satan's busy. Yes, he is. But how do you counteract that? How do you battle that? By being an effectual doer of the word. Isaiah 55.11 And I absolutely believe this verse literally. The Lord says, My word which goes forth from my mouth will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. Do we believe that? My word, he says, will not return to me empty. Now you notice he doesn't say all the books on all the Christian shelves and all the Christian bookstores in the world will not return to me empty. No, he says my word. And there's a lot of great Christian literature out there, don't get me wrong. But I think the church and many of us tend to hand over the word in favor of some book written by a man. And we've got the word of God. And he says, hey, stick to this and you're going to be alright. Pour over this and you are going to be an effectual doer. And you can lean all you want on Christian literature, but that's only little pieces of the puzzle. God gives us the whole word, and it's the whole counsel of the word of God that we need in our lives. You want to know what made Moses great? What made him powerful? What made him such a fantastic ruler, leader? He was an effectual doer of the word. When God spoke it to Moses, he did it. He didn't always understand it. Many times Moses was completely confused. Oftentimes Moses went back and complained to the Lord, but he always acted. He always did it. And that's why Moses was the leader that Moses was. Look back at verse 30. Actually, you know what, before we go any further, I want to pray for you for a moment. Father, this is your word. And we recognize that. And so even a foolish pastor standing up here cannot explain and express these things in the way that your word does all by itself. And I pray, Lord, this morning that you will implant your word in our hearts and write it on our minds. That you will go beyond the foolishness of man and the inability of a speaker to touch each one of us personally, intimately, and individually. That as a body, as we listen and study this together, that as individuals, we would hear what you want us to hear and know what you want us to know. 
God, we just pray that you would take over. Holy Spirit, this morning, be our teacher and our guide in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 30. Moses said before the Lord, Behold, I am unskilled in speech. How then will Pharaoh listen to me? Now keep in mind something as you read the stories of Moses, that he was a real guy. I know I've said this before, but it's so easy to forget. He becomes one or two dimensional, this character on a page, as opposed to a real person. He struggled. He had doubts. He had fears. He had worries, just like you and me. He was just like us. And he said, I'm unskilled in speech. He really thinks, really believes that he is subpar. That he is not the person up to what God is calling him to do. That he's unable to do it. And my question to you is, can you relate to Moses here? Have you ever felt unskilled in speech, unsure of your purpose, unable to do what the Lord is asking you to do? The last three weeks we've covered quite a bit of ground in terms of ministry on Sunday mornings. Last week we talked a lot about rebellion and redemption, but the two weeks prior to that it was interesting, the gifts that God gives so that His people can do ministry. And the fact that He created us to do ministry, to be servants, to be able to act and be doers of His word. And this week is is no exception, but it goes to a very specific ministry. I want to talk to you this morning about being prophets. And I'm not talking about the spiritual gift of prophecy per se, but about every single person in the family of God being a prophet of the Lord. And I'll explain that in just a moment. But like Moses, the vast majority of people consider themselves to be unskilled in speech. And because of this, the gospel, the good news of Jesus, and our very hope of salvation falls silent in a world that is spiraling toward judgment. Because we think that we are unskilled in speech. So we go to our homes and we go to our jobs and we're out with our friends and as we talk about things in life, we don't broach that subject, we don't come to the gospel, we don't share about Jesus. Cheryl and I were just talking last night about a close friend of hers that she has tried to witness to literally for years. They grew up together. She's going to be meeting with her in November down in Seattle. She's a flight attendant. And they're going to get together and, and spend the night together down there. And Cheryl was just saying, I just just be praying that God gives me words. And all of us, we get into these situations and think, I don't know what to say. So we say nothing. And in so doing, we leave people in judgment. And God says, I want you to speak. Moses makes this unskilled in speech claim three times before the Lord. And every time, God doesn't respond by saying, oh, no, no, Moses, you're skilled in speech. He says, hey, Moses, didn't I create your mouth? I'll put words in. I'll take care of that. This last time when he says, I'm unskilled in speech and Pharaoh won't listen to me, God just goes on and says, hey, I've made you like a god to Pharaoh. You don't have to worry about it, Moses. I have taken care of it. He tells Moses what it means to speak for God and he gives Moses the definition of a prophet. Look at verse 1 of chapter 7. The Lord said to Moses, See, I make you as a God to Pharaoh and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you and your brother Aaron shall speak to Pharaoh that he let the sons of Israel go out of his land. That word prophet there is the Hebrew word naïb. And naïb very specifically means one who speaks the words of another. That's all a prophet is. It's one who speaks the words of another. One who takes what was given to them and passes it along, speaking another's words. Now I want you to understand something though. A priest is a very different thing than a prophet. 
Aaron will later become a priest. But right now, God is saying, Aaron is going to be Moses' prophet. He's going to speak your words, and Moses, you're going to be speaking my words. And so it'll just go right down the line out to the people. Moses, you'll be like God. Aaron will be like your prophet. A prophet is someone who represents God to the people. A priest, who Aaron will be later, a priest represents the people to God. And I tell you that difference is important to understand because you have a priest and his name is not Pastor Rick. You have a priest and he is not a man, at least at this point. You have a priest and his name is Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy 2.5 tells us there's one God and there is one, one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And we have really misunderstood that. And I'm not just talking about in Roman Catholicism that has priests. I'm talking about in the church today when we elevate people to positions between us and God. That we think our pastor can represent us to God. And guess what? can't be done. You have a priest. And his name is Jesus. I get to teach. But that does not make me a priest. I'm a pastor. I corral sheep. That's kind of what I do. But I am no priest. And there is no man in the church today who can truly represent the people to God except Jesus Christ, who, Paul said, gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony given at the proper time. And even Paul says, for this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying. As a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Paul's even saying, man, don't elevate me. I'm not the guy. I'm not your priest. That's Jesus. And we need to understand that before we even move on, that He is our priest. But what we are sorely lacking in the world is prophets. What we need in the world today is prophets, people willing to represent God to the people. If you're taking notes, let me give you three things to jot down this morning. And the first one is simply this, a prophet represents. A prophet represents. This is what a prophet does. He represents God to the people, or the words of God to the people. And again, back in 29 of Exodus chapter 6, he said, God said, I am the Lord, speak to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I speak to you. Moses, when you speak, he says, you will do so in my name. When you open your mouth and you speak my words, they are my words, not yours, and it's my name that you are proclaiming, so don't worry about it. And that's encouraging news to me. All I have to do is represent the words of another, not come up with my own words. Even as I stand up here this morning, these are not my words that I come up with. As we read Scripture, it's Scripture that drives us. Now this is interesting to me. A misunderstood verse, John chapter 14, verse 13. Jesus said, whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, Jesus says, I will do it. We've taken this verse and what we've done is turn it into a repetitive formula for prayer. Which is why after every prayer we say in Jesus' name, Amen. Because we want whatever it is that we said, we want that to happen. So we make sure we get that in Jesus' name, amen, in at the end of the prayer, just in case, you know, we forget, to, you know, or God doesn't quite hear what we have to say. But that's not what Jesus is talking about. And I'm not saying we shouldn't close out our prayers like that. But Jesus is saying, gang, it's not just amen. It implies acting in his name, acting in his character as his representative. 
living life in Jesus' name. Whatever you ask of me in my name, that I will do. If you're living out your life in the character in the name of Jesus, whatever you ask, He will do. It's not about the Mercedes or the bicycle or the 10-speed or whatever. It's not about, you know, as kids, I used to first read that verse, I thought, oh, this is cool. Especially because it was real close to Christmas. And whenever I ask in His name... I will get it. And so I prayed for several presents in his name. And I added the in his name after every present. And half those presents I didn't get. And I'll tell you what. Jesus and I, we had a little problem that year. It's not that simple, folks. It's about how we live our lives. And if we are living in the will of God, the things that we ask the Lord, he will do because he's going to do those things anyway. And this is what a Christian does. A Christian represents, a prophet represents Christ's name and his character when we speak. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. Therefore, Paul says, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. We're ambassadors, and the word ambassador just means to act as a representative. Again, to represent But again, the the church is sorely lacking in prophets, those who are willing to speak. The Lord is calling ambassadors from among us, doers of the word. Now you may say, well, Rick, my problem is not with representing Christ. My problem is not in the representation at all, it's in the results. I'm out there representing Christ all the time and I'm getting nothing. I'm inviting people to come to church or Bible study or I'm trying to talk to them about the Lord and I'm getting no response. My representation is not yielding any results. Let me give you a second thing to jot down. A prophet's results are not his focus. A prophet's results are not his focus. John 16 verse 8 tells us that God's Spirit when He comes will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. God's Spirit does that. I don't do that. I'm not the convictor. I'm not the judge. I'm the representative. It's the Lord who does the convicting. His Spirit who will work on the results. That's not our concern. Our concern is to get the word out. To let the word fall and let the chips fall where they may. Let me tell you this. It is possible that for a lifetime of speaking for God, you might not see a single result. Oh, that's not possible, right? Come on. I mean, you know, yeah, a lifetime. It is possible that you may speak and speak and speak and speak as a prophet for the Lord and not get a single result. How do I know that? Because that's exactly what happened to Jeremiah, who was called the weeping prophet. This was a sorrowful man who wrote Lamentations. It's a real uplifting book. The Lamentations. He is a weeping man. Why? Because he, he pleaded and he prayed and he asked and he spoke for God to the people and not a single person listened to Jeremiah in his lifetime. And in Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 7, see if you feel this way or have felt this way. He says, I have become a laughing stock all day long. Everyone mocks me. For each time I speak, I cry aloud and I proclaim violence and destruction because for me, the word of the Lord has resulted in reproach and derision all day long. There's a symbol for a prophet. There's a great example. Here's a guy who was out there speaking God's word and nobody listened. But a prophet is not concerned with results. A prophet's results are not his focus. So you may wonder, as Jeremiah, I'm sure, did, why do I do it? Why speak a word? Why say anything if I, if I may not have any impact at all? If I'm out there trying and no one's listening anyway, 
I am just wasting my time. Well, number three, a prophet's reproach may be required. A prophet's reproach may be required. Look at verse 3 of chapter 7. God says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart that I may multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. When Pharaoh does not listen to you, not when Pharaoh listens, when Pharaoh does not listen to you, then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring out my hosts, my people, the sons of Israel, from the land of Egypt by great judgments. And he says, the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. When I stretch out my hand on Egypt and bring out the sons of Israel from their midst. There's a major plank here in the platform of God that is often missed in the Exodus story. A major deal here. Redemption is half the picture. Revelation is the other half. Yes, God is about redeeming His people. Yes, He wants to bring Israel out. But that's not the whole story. That's redemption. Revelation is the other half of the story where God's concern actually is much greater than just Israel. We like the first part. We want redemption. We like to talk about mercy and grace. We want to be set free. And we in the church today can be so focused on our freedom and our redemption that we miss the simultaneous work of the Lord, which is the revelation of His power in the world. It may well be that the whole reason that you are required or called upon to speak God's word in this world is for His power and glory ultimately to be seen and not for you to see a single thing. It's possible that that may happen. The Apostle Paul had some understanding of this. Paul had a thorn, he said. A thorn in the flesh. You may remember the story that Paul said three times. I went to the Lord and said, take this thorn out of my flesh. I'm tired of this pain. Can you take this away? It was a problem that from a human perspective pampered his ability to effectively minister the gospel. That's why Paul wanted it taken away. I can be more effective for you, Lord. Some say that Paul had a speech problem. Others say he had eyesight difficulty. There are all kinds of ideas out there about what Paul's thorn was. But the bottom line is this. He had this problem that he felt if he could just get rid of it, he could be a more effective minister. And what does God say? No. No, Paul, I'm leaving that thorn right where it is. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. God said to Paul, My grace is sufficient for you. Why? For power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast, Paul says, about my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, and with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. A prophet's reproach may be required. It may be that God wants you to have a hard life. Oh. I don't like that theology at all. It may be that God wants you to go through struggle so that as you go through that struggle and cling to Him in faith, somebody will watch that and say, Wow, even in their weakness, even in their apparent failure, even in their inability to speak, God is powerful. It's not our power that the world needs to see. It's not my ability to speak or your ability to speak. It's not that we have the perfect, well-crafted words to say in conversation. That's not what leads people to the Lord. It is His power and His grace alone that does it. Our job is just to tell people about that. 
I once uh, went to a youth specialties conference and there was a man there, and I forget his name now, but one of the speakers. He had MS. He had one lung because the other one had been destroyed in an awful accident. He was somewhat shriveled. He was in a wheelchair and he got up there to speak. And he could barely speak. Most of his words were like this as he spoke. And it was really hard for about the first five minutes to listen to him. His voice was unsettling. And it looked as if at any moment he could die. And in fact, he could. He was in bad shape. And that week at that conference, he was the most powerful speaker there. It absolutely blew my mind what the Lord spoke through him. And this guy, again, was difficult to listen to. But as he went on talking about what God had done and the grace and the power that God was showing in his life, we were blown away. Our weakness is a terrific tool in the hands of God. And Moses says, Pharaoh won't listen to my unskilled speech. Well, God says, precisely. That's it. You got it, Mo. They're not going to listen to your unskilled speech. In fact, not only will they not listen to your unskilled speech, but I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart so he won't even, even listen more. Not just, I'm going to make it harder for him to listen. What? This makes no sense. Why? That I may multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. That Egypt will see that it's not you, Moses, or Aaron, or even the people of Israel, but it is the God of the heavens. Remember I told you that this battle here is a battle between God and the gods of Egypt. And the Lord doesn't just want to save Israel, He wants to save Egypt. What is Egypt a picture of in the Bible? It's a picture of the world. It's a picture of the world as we watch this happening. And the Israelites are a picture of you and I as we're saved, as we're pulled out of the bondage of sin in the world. God wants Egypt to know who God is. And God wants the world to know who He is. I will harden His heart. You keep speaking. Why? that the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. H.L. Ellison, in the Daily Study Bible series of Exodus, wrote, This expression, that they shall know that I am the Lord, is particularly common in Ezekiel, where it happens or occurs over 60 times. But it is not simply the revelation of a name, but of the character of the one who owns the name, as shown especially in his power, displayed in punishment and protection and in grace. It is his nature, it's his character that the Lord desires to reveal to both the Israelites and the Egyptians. Again, as I said before, Moses is a real man with a real self-confidence issue. An impediment in what he thinks of himself. But in the face of his ongoing apparent failure, the people of Egypt and even hard-hearted Pharaoh will see the Lord. You need to understand that Moses, his failure, put yourself in his sandals for a moment, and you're going through these ten plagues. And every time you go up to Pharaoh and you say, let my people go, and Pharaoh says, no. And Moses goes, oh great, here comes another one. And the plague hits. And it's tragedy going on around him. And he's thinking, I'm blowing it. If I could just get it right, if I could just say the right thing at the right time, maybe the plagues would stop. And God says, go back and tell him again. Okay, and so Moses goes back again and again and again. And the the power of God is displayed in ever-increasing, powerful, greater ways. And Moses, not a single time, feels successful until the very end when it takes the death of the firstborn of all Egypt for them to understand who God truly is. Gang, revealed both in Moses and in the judgments and wonders that are being carried out is the true nature of God, that He is God. And it's the same for those who speak the word today. Why do I have to endure these problems in my life, you may ask? 
I'm a Christian. Why doesn't God just heal me of my physical ailments? Why do I have to deal with this persecution from my friends? Why am I such a failure in these areas? Why this lack of accomplishment? Because the Lord is doing two things simultaneously. He's bringing you out and He is giving the world every possible chance to know Him as well. Redemption and revelation. And He may use your failure. And he may use your hurt and he may use your trouble to get his message out. The Egyptians are watching. They're watching to see how the prophets handle the plagues that fall on this world. Matthew 5.45, Jesus says, He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. That doesn't seem quite fair. I'm one of his people and I get rained on too. I'm one of his children and i got to deal with the same stuff that Joe Schmuckatelli over here deals with who this guy this guy is, is a total fair he, he, I'm at church every Sunday and Wednesday I, I'm the one of the ones that come, that come to the midweek Bible study so I don't feel guilty at all because I am there man not to mention the fact that I have 20 minute quiet time every single morning even when I don't want to do it I'm on the worship team I'm getting involved I was here hammering and, and nailing and putting this wall together man I had a really bad week that last week and same with the sinners. That's not fair. And Jesus said, well, that's the way it is. So sorry. But he also says in John 16, In the world you have tribulation, but be of good cheer. Take courage. I have overcome the world. It ain't about you. And it's not about your problems and your struggles. It's about me. That's kind of hard for us to you know, grasp every now and then. Well, it really isn't about me. <laughs> You may not have success in the world. You may not see the results of faithfully bringing the word. But take heart. The results are not measured temporally. They are measured eternally. Egypt is watching and listening. And as you go through family problems, personal crises, setbacks and illnesses, job loss, bankruptcy, heartache, sorrow, Egypt is watching. What is Egypt going to see in your life? What are you as a prophet of the Lord going to bring to Egypt? Egypt is watching as you live in poverty and wealth, in sickness and health, in triumphs and trials. God wants to show His power to Egypt. He wants the world to know and to see that He truly is the Lord. And one of the best ways He does it is through weak, old, unskilled prophets like us. I mean, look around this morning. We're somewhat of a motley crew. No offense, but gang. We could all do a lot better. No, I kid you. Gang. God has a work that He wants to do. And He wants all of us to speak His word so that work can be done. So what do I do with all of this? How do I get you know, all this prophet stuff? What do I do to truly be a prophet of the Lord? Simple. Speak the word. Speak the word. Well, what does that look like, Rick? You know what that looks like. Do I need to break it down for you? John 3.16 says that God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him shall never die but have eternal life. Speak the word. Give the gospel where it needs to be heard. Don't fear it. And look at Moses and Aaron. This is what I love. The greatest verse here that we read this morning. Verse 6 of chapter 7. So Moses and Aaron did it. They did it. As the Lord commanded them, thus they did. That's it. No questions. Okay. This is what you want. Personally, Lord, I don't think it's going to work, but we'll give it a shot. As the Lord commanded them, thus they did it. 
Results are not our focus. Reproach may come, but God is looking for people who are willing to represent. He's looking for a few old prophets. I mentioned Jeremiah earlier. The weeping prophet. The writer of Lamentations. The man who never saw a single convert in Israel in his entire lifetime. But listen to this and don't miss this. Seventy years later, seventy years after he wrote his book, after his death, someone did listen. A man by the name of Daniel picked up the writings of Jeremiah and began to read and study. And it was in the reading and the study of Jeremiah's word, which was God's word, that Daniel, boom, it hit him like lightning. Daniel chapter 9, and I encourage you to read this sometime. Daniel gets the greatest Old Testament prophecy that we have. This powerful prophecy that gives an entire timeline for Israel. From Daniel's day all the way up until the very end of the world. And that would not have happened had Daniel not listened to the words of Jeremiah. And Jeremiah didn't think anyone would ever listen to him. Jeremiah chapter 20 verse 9, he said, But if I say... If I say I will not remember him or speak any more in his name, I love this, then in my heart it becomes like a burning fire. A fire shut up in my bones. I'm weary of holding it in. I cannot endure it. And let me tell you something, as the word gets into you, you can't endure keeping it inside of you. Which is why I keep pounding away at this. Be in the Word. Amen. Get into the Word. Get into Bible study. Be here Wednesday night. Be here Sunday morning. Be in Bible studies through the week. Get into the Word. Well, Rick, it's just a lot of study. No, it's not. It is a fire that gets inside of you. And the more you read and study and know the Word, the more the Word is just going to burst out because you cannot hold it in. And Jeremiah understood that. Man, was it painful for Jeremiah? Yes. Was he the weeping prophet? Absolutely. But he couldn't hold it in. And because he didn't hold it in, Daniel would later understand the word. And countless thousands would understand God's plan for Israel in an amazing way. Because he couldn't hold it in, Moses led three million people out of Egypt in the most miraculous exodus of people in all of history. Because he was willing to speak the word. Because he would not hold it in. Let's pray. Lord put words in our mouths God fill us so full of your word that it is overflowing that the very language that we use and the words that we speak are constantly coated with your grace and your love that scripture would come to mind so often that, that we are constantly repeating your words Father, diminish our words in the world for they just get in the way. And let us be prophets of yours. People who just, we love you so much. And desperately want, as you want, for the world to know that you are God. For that is the only way, Father, that a person can be saved. Jesus, may your name be on our lips and your character in our actions. And may we truly become doers of the world of the word in this world today. God, this is what I ask this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen.
things that we determined to do when we started the bridge was not be quote seeker sensitive what I mean by that is that there are many churches out there and I, and I don't I'm not saying anything negative about them but many churches out there whose focus on a Sunday is to try and make it comfortable for a seeker for someone who maybe has not been to church or is trying it out for the first time and I've become convinced over the years that that's a watered down approach to bringing Jesus to people God wants his church to be his church and what I think is the most powerful thing a a seeker can experience is to come into a body of people and to see how Christ works to watch people worshiping him to see the communion trays go by and go that's kind of weird what's that all about to ask the questions to be intrigued by what goes on in a place like this And so on Sundays, we continue through the Word and we continue to just worship God and just be His family. And it's a very real state of affairs. It's not something that's contrived with lights and stage show and all kinds of stuff designed to trick people into the Lord. It's just being who God called us to be. Now every week I offer an opportunity for you to give your life to the Lord if you've never done so. And I'm not going to this week. I want you to think about if you're not a Christian. I want you just to think about this. That God loved you so much that not only did He send His only begotten Son to die for you so that you could have forgiveness of sins and eternal salvation with Him. He loved you so much that He turns to His people and says... If you're going to speak, let it be my word so that they might be saved. And all of us who are believers, who are Christians today, that's our job. That's it. Speak the word of God. And let his word do what it does. It doesn't come back to him empty. Without succeeding in the manner for which he sent it.